we're in content. The content overflow. We're in the content overflow. I think we're COVID. Ah, we're out of the overflow. No, it's still happening. Okay. How long will it be happening? Forever. Do we have a timetable? Until 2025. And then we'll have COVID too. Yeah. <laughs> like as soon as Avengers Secret Wars lands, okay. COVID will officially be over at that time. Kevin Feige will have defeated COVID <laughs> with the power of superhero movies. That statement games. alone makes me want to continue doing this podcast. <laughs> Wait, okay, so. We should talk about the state of the podcast. Maybe. No. Okay. We'll, we'll do that later. People are wondering, where's the content? <laughs> People are suffocating. You haven't made a podcast in two weeks. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm unsubscribing. Go ahead. Unsubscribe, idiot. He doesn't mean that. We really, we really appreciate it. We need all three of you. Um, no, but we are in an interesting time. Uh, Amazon has done the Lord of the Rings show, the most expensive show ever made, $50 million per episode. And also the best show ever made. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all enjoying it here. HBO is doing Game of Thrones again, and it's hitting all of the right nerves, nerves, buttons, whatever. It's even got the same theme again. It feels like, like you're putting on an old gown. <laughs> We're just, we're, we're at, at the TCP, we're really just about doing live Mad Libs and Gabe is, but yes, no, no, it feels really good. Um, HBO Max, I think in HBO, whatever's going on with Discovery, Warner Brothers, they're doing really, really well right now with that show. They may not be doing really, really well with their film, but we'll talk about that in a second. Disney Plus has a bunch of stuff coming out right now. She-Hulk is in full swing. It's almost over, thank God. And then Andor it just landed last mm-hmm. week with three episodes and one episode this week when we're recording this. And it's super good. It's probably the best Star Wars content we've seen in forever. Probably since, <laughs> since the Phantom Menace. <laughs> since Disney's taken over. <laughs> and everybody's losing their minds. It's, or What's funny is I've heard people say that if you were a kid watching Andor, you probably would be like, this is so boring. Where yeah. are the lightsabers? Huge. But as all the kids who have grown up watching Star Wars, this is like the best thing Star Wars has ever done. It's Star Wars for adults. Yeah. It's Star Wars Black. And it's yeah, also, it's, it's Black series Star Wars. It's not only the best Star Wars Disney's done yet, but I mean with maybe a couple Mando episodes excluding, but it's also, in my opinion, the best episodic series on Disney Plus thus far. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And Disney Plus also just put out Hocus Pocus 2, just came out today. Oh, wow. I think Gabe is really excited about I that I missed one. that. I mean, I, I never was into it. Oh. That's what I mean. <laughs> no. I was um, not allowed to watch it. So. I wasn't allowed to watch it either. I was, my mom was concerned I'd become a witch. And so she's like, you can't watch it. No, no Harry Potter, no Hocus Pocus. Yeah, not until I turned 18. No Halloween Town from Disney. Uh, no, I, I liked Hocus Pocus a lot. I wasn't the hugest fan, but... I watched it at an age where I was young enough that it is nostalgic now, so I definitely want to check that out. I'm not expecting much, um, but it's interesting that everyone looks the same. Really, thirty years later, yeah, Bette Midler, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Kathy and Jimmy. No, no, I know her name because I met her when I used to work at the coffee shop, and I insulted her right to her face on accident. What? That's a true story. For another time, podcast. Wow. Anyway, what we're here to talk about today is Warner Brothers slash Discovery's newest feature film out in theaters. It's caused quite a ruckus. It's called Don't Worry, Darling. Yep. 
Isn't it one of only two they were really promoting this year? Yes. After the buy, uh, they came out and said they only had enough money, quote unquote, to put out two <laughs> movies this year. And Don't Worry Darling was one of them. The other one is Black Adam, I think, coming out near November, December. What a lineup. <laughs> <laughs> Got a one-two punch. But it's interesting because, you know, Warner Brothers had a bunch of stuff on the slate for the DC films. Yeah. And they put out the Batman earlier this year in March. So I it, it's it's strange to me that Discovery is like, you know, we can't do this when Warner Brothers was planning to do it. I think you got to spend money to make money. Is seems like Warner Brothers' old slogan. Maybe that's why they had to sell themselves well, <laughs> to Discovery. <laughs> yeah, Discovery's motto is you got to save money to make money. <laughs> You got to cut spending. Yeah, you got to stop spending money on <laughs> shit content. Or all content. Speaking of shit content, Don't Worry Darling is the newest film by Olivia Wilde. <laughs> that was mean. No. Oh, okay. Sorry. Mean. You guys liked the movie? There's uh, pros and cons to it. Was it was entertaining. Gabe, who's with us today? Um, we have in the studio with us today, Allie Burnett. Back again. Back at it again. Allie, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. I had a little bit of pizza, mm. and I'm on my second drink. Allie, you're looking great, as always. You're glowing. Oh, thank you very much. Yep. You're glowing, Stephen. <laughs> I'm sweating. You are, you are radiating. I'm just sweating. <laughs> thank you. No, but do you guys like the movie? I did. I got to be honest, despite its obvious flaws in the second half, I, th- I was very entertained. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly due... To uh, Florence Pugh. Pugh Pugh. Pugh Pugh. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. I'd do anything for her. But also the production design was really fabulous. Okay. Well. <laughs> okay, well, let's back up. Who is Olivia Wilde? She's the director, obviously, but who is she really, Gabe? Well, it's become more apparent every day that nobody really knows who Olivia Wilde is. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of press about the real Olivia in the last six months. But... Um, I think she got her start on House, right? As another doctor? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Do you want a history of Olivia Wilde? I know that she was in Sean Legacy, which oh, is yeah. the best Christmas movie ever made. You know, it really was underappreciated, in my opinion. As she was Cora, I think. As she yeah. was like one of the programs. I still hope that she returns as Cora when Jared Leto finally gets his Tron 3 remake. Is he like, is he the new um, star? I, I don't know. I have no idea. He announced on Twitter, he's like, we're doing Tron 3, and I'm attached. And nothing's happened in like three years. So well, it's a very Jared Leto thing. It's like, <laughs> it's morbid time. It's morbid time. Uh, yeah, but Olivia Wilde's been in a lot of stuff over the last 15 years or so. Let's talk about, but yeah, this, I think she was an actress yeah. who turned director. And part-time actress. And still acting. And this is her second movie. Yes, her first Bingo. movie was called Book Smart with... Caitlin Deaver. Yeah, and, Caitlin Deaver. And Beanie Feldstein. Who is Jonah Hill's sister. Mm-hmm. Is she really? Yeah. Yep. Wow. A little bit of nepotism. Huh? She's actually really good. Both, yeah, of, But sure. that movie They're was really, great. really good. Did you yeah. see it too, Alan? Oh, Stephen and I loved it, yeah. I haven't seen it, but you guys... It's really smart and... Was it book smart? No, no pun intended. Bookie. Or street smart. 
Wow, yeah, it's Gabe. pretty hilarious. And she does dip in, like, just from seeing that as her debut, like, she does dip into, like, these really interesting, like, almost like some surrealism sometimes. Like, remember the Barbie scene <laughs> when they're, like... They turn they're turning into dolls. They literally turn into dolls. What? Yeah, and it's, like, super trippy. They're on some drugs, and it's it was, just, like, a very unexpected scene. But she does... A, she plays a lot with... At least from that film, and then jumping to this film, it seems like she she has um, a lot of interest in playing with like the mind yeah. and our perceptions. Yeah, after seeing Booksmart, I could say very confidently I was very excited to see what Olivia Wilde would direct next. And even regardless of the conversation we're about to have about the film, I feel like she is a good director, and she has a unique voice. Mm-hmm. 100%. And yeah. a very creative vision for her projects. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the one thing to note about this movie, Don't Worry Darling is that she didn't, Olivia Wilde did not write it. She did not write the screenplay for Don't Worry Darling. Did she write Booksmart? I don't think so. But but what I'm saying is that... No, I know. I'm just curious. Like, yeah, if yeah. there was a difference, like, if she was a writer-director. Well, director. Just, just for the audience. I'm she did sa- not write Okay. I'm saying that the direction, her direction, mm-hmm. and her skill as a director is very self-evident when you watch either Don't Worry Darling or Booksmart. But the story is the thing that makes or breaks a movie, obviously. And Booksmart, the story there, was it was a fantastic script, start to finish, really great movie. And it was, direct, it was directed well. Yeah. And Don't Worry Darling had a great cast, start to finish. It just wasn't written as well. And the story didn't play out the way that you would hope. Mm-hmm. And but, it, but you could tell that it was directed well. Like yeah. I, I think it was directed super well like mm-hmm. it could have been an a24 film if, yeah. it, if it had a stronger third act mm-hmm. i could touch on the script a bit touch it is all i have to say the script which was i think it was written some years ago uh by the van dyke brothers two guys who have written a lot of typically not so um amazing pictures i think i i saw one guy call them like uh sci-fi channel writers oh. um, but they had written a script that was circulating and people wanted to get done for a little while and then a, a new draft I don't know how much it changed since the since the the first draft, but Katie Silberman came in and she got the screenplay credit, the lion's share of it, and that was one of the writers on Booksmart actually. So it's, it seems like she had a working relationship already with Olivia Wilde, and they probably had this collaborative creative process. Mm. But yeah, I, they Warner Brothers or whoever was whoever had their hands in the cookie jar, they were betting a lot on this movie. Mm-hmm. Don't I think it was Warner Brothers that originally funded yeah but from the get-go like the script was something they were really excited to push out yeah speaking of pushing out let's talk about shia labeouf oh no (laughs) yeah well i don't know if any of us know the full story i mean who does let's talk about the drama surrounding dwd don't worry darling well shia labeouf was rumored to play jack was it a rumor no he was (laughs) everything's a rumor he was cast (laughs) To play yeah, he was Jack. supposed to be Jack, which was Harry Styles' character, the husband of Alice Florence Pew Pew. Florence Pugh's character, yeah. So it was supposed to be Shia LaBeouf, I guess. I mean, maybe not entirely because of Shia LaBeouf's domestic abuse allegations, but he was pushed out of the production. Well, different people will tell you different things. Either he was pushed out or he left, depending on who you talk to. Also, people were saying that like Olivia Wilde was like asking him to stay on, even despite the the allegations. Or I guess it's like not allegations. I think he actually confirmed that he was abusing people, and he's since owned up to that. And I don't know if he's making changes in his life to remedy that, uh, or if he has said so. If he's 
authentic about it, but he's been he's been on record saying, yeah, he's a shitty person. It seems like Shia LaBeouf is always making changes. In I think his it life. was FK Twigs who was uh, yeah. suing him. Yeah, and from Honey Boy, and she might still be suing him. And I just got to say, go get it. You know what I'm saying? Get you know, that money. Yeah. Because no one should put up with domestic abuse. Anyway. Oh, his girlfriend? Yeah, at the time. Who was in, I think she was the star in Honey Boy. Was she was probably where they she got wasn't involved. She was the star, but she was in it. Yeah, she was the, the she girl. Played, she played somebody that stayed at the hotel with young Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Anyway, Shia LaBeouf was pushed out, or left, one of the two. And Harry Styles came on. I don't know what his connection was with, uh, well, beforehand. I don't know if they were dating after the fact. They're but Olivia Wilde is, was seeing Harry Styles, who is, everybody knows Harry. Everyone sees Harry Styles. Harry. Um, so it, it's Harry. a little strange um, <laughs> on multiple accounts at that point. And so there were a lot of weird vibes on set and Florence Pugh, all the meanwhile, is just caught up in everything. Poor, poor thing. I mean, Probably imagine Olivia Wilde directing all the intimate scenes. Yeah. Yeah, that her must, boyfriend Florence go. Pugh. Apparently, she has beef with. Well, yeah. Wait, what happened, sir? I don't know the drama. <laughs> I don't know it either. Nobody knows the drama. We need a Morgan. <laughs> We're adding Twitch to the gossip fire right now. We're part she's of the, the problem. one who's told me. But wait, so Florence Pugh had beef with Olivia Wilde. All I've heard is that Florence and Olivia had some sort of disagreement or falling out. I don't know exactly, and when. Olivia Wilde was asked about it in an interview. She politely kind of closed the door on the conversation. Didn't want to go there. Wow. Yeah. So there must have been some sort of disagreement, but we do not know what. Some sort of clashing of personalities, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And everybody saw Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine. What? You didn't know about that? <laughs> I think I remember hearing about it, but I blocked it from my mind because I Google couldn't. right now. Google you guys. Harry Styles spits spit. Harry Styles spit. That's a t- total subtext. No, this is this is this is the reason we have the podcast. <laughs> is the juicy tidbits? <laughs> oh no one cares about analysis. Harry Styles spitting. This is the part I fast forward in podcasts. Wait, is this during an interview? He did not actually spit. It was like. A misunderstanding. Okay. Well, this random YouTube video will solve this problem. After my 15-second ad. It didn't even look like that at all. Well, Chris is definitely reacting. I don't understand. I don't see it. Well, you can't see it. He goes like this. He goes, and then sits down. He literally looks like he's just getting comfortable. It for sure looks like he's spit. I imagine there was just a misunderstanding, and there was some alcohol involved, probably. Maybe some some drugs. Was was there some saliva involved? Just some spittle. I can't say. Just random spittle. All right, let's let's uh, move beyond the gossip segment. Okay. Anyway, that's don't worry, darlings. Gossip. That's the reason that I think. Well, okay. Well, I have to say, the drama is one of the things for sure. That made people get out of their houses and go see this film. Well, the cast, more so. Also, in my opinion, the drama behind the cast. No, but I think people were genuine. Like our culture is obsessed with like certain icons, and Harry Styles is one of those. Like a lot of people just wanted to go see this movie because Harry Styles is in it. Yeah, it's true. Yes. Can you imagine if Harry Styles was going to be in the new Dune movie? 
It would have everything. Isn't it? Have it? Zendaya. I it was, oh no, it was it was awesome, Butler. Yeah, it was, as yeah. Fade. Anyway, so that sets the stage for Don't Worry, Darling, the movie. <laughs> and we've all seen it, and it had a lot of hype. So, should we uh, talk a little bit about the story or what? I don't know. Sure. Briefly, what happens in Don't, don't Worry, Worry Darling? Darling is kind of a psychological thriller about Florence Pugh. Her name is Alice. She is a housewife. She's in this kind of surreal, anachronistic uh, town. 1950s. Yeah. It's played, Palm Springs town. Exactly. It's played to be that aesthetic, but it's very obviously anachronistic. It's, it's out of its time because of the way they're speaking. They don't speak like they're from the 50s, but the setting is that. So there's already from the get-go a mystery about what's really happening here. They're all involved. All these husbands and wives in this town are part of what's called the Victory Project, led by Chris Pine's character, Frank something. And the project, none of the wives really know what it is. Um, it's a very clandestine operation. The husbands are not allowed to speak about it. But every day, they True. follow the schedule where they, they leave their home. They go work on the Victory Project for you know eight or nine hours, and they come home, and they have dinner. Their wives have been doing housewife stuff all day. And so that's their lives, day in and day out for an indeterminate amount of time. And we pick up at some point with Florence Pugh and her husband, Jack, and their little circle of friends and their, at their beautiful little idyllic cul-de-sac. Cul-de-sac. In this town. And very quickly, things start to go awry for Florence. Uh, strange things start happening, particularly her friend, Margaret, who is a character who is starting to seem um, disturbed or even um, schizophrenic. And she's starting to say things, you know, classic psychological thriller things like something isn't right. You know, we shouldn't be here. <laughs> things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and this, over the first couple story acts, uh, upsets Florence enough. She eventually starts to become that person after Margaret goes missing. Or actually, she attempts to commit suicide and then disappears Florence Pugh, Alice, doesn't know what happens to her other than the men uh, in charge have told her that Margaret's fine, everything's cool, she just, she's doing some R&R at the local triage, the hospital. So uh, fast forward, Florence is now under some stress and she's experiencing her own hallucinations and paranoia. And so her relationship with Jack is spiraling out of control at this point because her uh, disillusionment with both, you know, the place they're living and the whole Victory Project is coming to a head. And spoilers. Yeah, I mean, we've already been spoiling. We're it, talking about the story of, of but the movie. more more spoilers. Full spoilers. I mean, all this is readily available from you know the trailer. The spoilers. That's true. You'll know when the spoilers happen. <laughs> when when the reveal when Here, the twists happen. Here's the twist. Florence Pugh comes to learn that the Victory Project is in, is in fact a sham. And the nature of her reality is that she is trapped inside of a program. This whole thing is a elaborate VR simulation, essentially, you know, in the realm of like an anime story. I think that's what essentially the Victory Project is. But she's trapped inside of it because all the most of the wives in this town are trapped inside of it by the husbands. Uh, and they're all somewhere living in the real world, like... Uh, being sedated and confined to this like somnambulant prison 
And so every time the men leave for their workday, they're actually going back into the real world to live their actual lives. And in Jack's case, he's working to provide to maintain this VR system and the illusion that their life in victory is real. And what he's doing really is he's strapped Florence Pugh, yeah. Alice, down to a bed and and is forcing her to stay inside of this program so he can come home to her every day. And Yeah. The, the brief history they show you in the, in the third act is that Jack in the real world had a relationship with Alice and he was down on his luck, also just kind of a douchebag in general. And uh, he, at some point off screen, must have uh, captured her and tucked her away in this other apartment where he then put her into the program, <laughs> essentially. And yeah, Florence doesn't know she's in there, but as she comes to realize she's in the program, she tries to find ways to get out of it. And that means running out into the desert of Palm Springs. And running up that hill. Exactly. Running up that hill to wake herself up. And that becomes her goal for the end of the movie is to get out of this place. And that's essentially, don't worry, darling. We cut to black with her finally getting out. You hear her taking a a breath, like gasping for air. Yeah. And Chris Pine, as Frank, the director of this whole thing, is all the while thwarting her, or actually goading her on to provoke him, because he is... He gets off on it. Yeah, exactly. He's, as he said in his own words, been looking for someone to challenge him in that way. So, But a lot of other strange things happen along the way that aren't really explained, and that's one of the reasons why people have some problems with this movie. But that's essentially, essentially, as I say that word for the tenth time. Essentially? That's basically... Essentially. The story of Don't Worry Darling. (laughs) Let's talk about how we felt about it, each of us. Let's start with Allie. There were things I liked about it and things I didn't like. I liked, like, I actually resonated with what Gabe said in that even though there was certainly flaws in the actual story, especially, like, the second half, like he said, I was really entertained Mm -hmm. and really drawn into, like, the visuals that were presented to us like the way in which this culture and this like world was fleshed out in terms of like the production design costume design like the intimate up close moments of florence Pugh and um, harry styles like i was on board for it like i thought that it was really intriguing and i was just really entertained and then as like the different like i guess psychological thriller aspect of the story came into play i was also like eager to see what would happen for me the flaws really came in like kind of the really expected i don't know plot points that happened like things that felt really unnecessary like i mean we don't have to get into all of them but um just it kind of felt like it turned into this escaping and then all the women being like go run run and then the wife of chris pine killing him and it just felt almost like this like over the top female empowerment that didn't really feel necessary for the way that the the story was presented up to that point like i guess like with the landscape of what they were giving us it could have been much stronger and there could have been so much more depth and like symbolism and um, 
uh, just in more interesting ways in which they would have could have gone with the characters. It kind of just felt like a cop out. Yeah, well said, Stephen. I think the writing and the story was just bad. <laughs> <laughs> At what point did you discover that? In the Everything theater? else was honestly like really good or excellent. Yeah, like, I will say I would love Florence Pugh. Mm-hmm. Similar, I mean, she she has a great range, but it was similar to her role in Midsommar. Yeah. Olivia saw that and she said, I could do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was like a perfect cast, right? Um, so I loved her. And I, as much as people are giving, I, I've heard that people are giving Harry Styles flack for his performance. Yeah. I really, I, I actually really liked bad. him. I, I, I don't think he was great but i don't think he was bad he wasn't sh- like a shia labeouf no know? that would have been really <laughs> that would have been perfect honestly that would have been really interesting but um yeah i mean it essentially ends up becoming like a survival story but not even like a good one mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it could have been like a comprehensive commentary on pick any of the established like social matters that they mm-hmm. set up in the beginning of the film or the first two acts but it, it just had to do some subtextual like execution to stick the landing in the third act, but it just did nothing, but instead had it be like Alice escaping Wonderland. And that was, that became the whole movie. Mm -hmm. It was pretty on the nose. It it had (laughs) it there, but there was no, it could have done anything to make it more artful. And it ended up just becoming a survival story where she's like fighting for her life. She survives that the movie literally ends at that point, which means that the whole point of the movie was just to make sure that you care about this person enough to follow her into the ends and that she survives. But even movies like, I don't know, Schindler's List, like you have much more, when, it, when you talk about like survival stories, that's, a, that's an extreme example, but you have much more story to flush out and you care more about the subtext of what's going on in the characters' lives. Otherwise, though, like I would say it had the mystery box thing going for it for the first Mm -hmm. two acts. And that part was super enjoyable. Like I really enjoyed the aesthetic and the production design and the direction and the acting and the music was really good. Everything about this movie was great. It just we go to movies because we want to be entertained. We want to see and hear a good story. And this story was just not a good story. It had everything else going for it though mm-hmm. and and anyway that's that's how i feel mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah you nailed it i think a lot of people feel that way exactly steven <laughs> i agree with a lot of the critics who have said things like uh if like all the pieces were there it just didn't come together in the end like it had it had a voice it had something to say For but sure. the script needed a little more work it's a little maybe, too convoluted yeah maybe in what it wanted to say not even like i wouldn't even it was say, trying to say too many things yeah. Too many, it just needed more subtext is all. That's all that it yeah, needed. Yeah, it was like certain things really caught me. Like, um, like you know, when Harry Styles, when Jack, he gets that award at the show or at the at the gathering and then he does this full-on performance this dance there was like yeah there was like these moments that i actually loved that was like oh this is really interesting what is this trying to say about like this character or like this male um Mm -hmm. desire to have um esteem and to be awarded and Mm -hmm. to have like this worth and this power and they're you know i think they're saying like what power it's our world it's our world right Mm -hmm. and they're raising up their hands and so it's definitely having this interesting 
critique that mm-hmm. I thought was like, oh, this is really interesting. I like this visual like symbolism here. And then there is just, yeah, there was just other parts that just felt so like, oh, now then it just showed us who he was. And then it just, it just felt like everything became kind of cookie cutter yeah. and lacked the, the amount of like symbolism and depth that like I was craving that the first half, I feel like gave at least some, some of that to us, if that makes sense. All, all it had to do was write one or two scenes of, of minor confrontation that humanized the characters rather than villainized all of the characters. So if she would have had some sort of confrontational moment and some sort of dialogue where she made peace with Jack rather than just murdering him. Well, she almost she kind of did. It would have made it a go. better story. And then again with Chris Pine, if there would have been some sort of confrontation there. That felt really weird. Even between yeah. his wife that ended up killing him <laughs> after she had defended him in literally every other scene. Yeah. Like it that would have, was weird. It would have made it a better story though is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Because again, we, we want full, well-rounded human characters mm-hmm. making making intelligent decisions. That's mm-hmm. the kind of story we want. We mm-hmm. want to see as an audience. And those characters were absent in the third act. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's almost like they even abandoned their, their established character traits from the beginning first two acts. And mm-hmm. that, that was really unfortunate to see. Yeah, I have two things I'd like to say. One is like you already mentioned, it, as far as the screenplay goes, it's a fascinating case study of a spec script for something of its genre, like the Black Mirror concept, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because you could have gone anywhere with this story in the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even begrudge the way it happened. It feels very like Game of Thrones season eight to me in which like mm. it wasn't the direction it went that troubled me. It was like the execution of it. Mm. So there's a lot of half-baked or rushed things in the third act, not even just with character moments like Steven said, but also just with plot. And I'm not even somebody that has to have everything explained to me. Like as somebody, totally. who, I like movies like Inception, where I I can suspend mm-hmm. disbelief up to a point as long as you're following your own rules. Mm-hmm. But this movie presents you with so much information, or not even information. It presents you with a lot of scenarios in the third act that make you like scratch your head, like the waking up in the VR. One of the things I was wondering is like, well, how long have they been in here? Like, I feel I felt like I needed a little bit more information. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also a lot of, I mean, just to keep criticizing the third act, I'm going to be a broken record for a second. There just are a lot of laughable moments in the back half of this story. Mm. Namely, I mean, I was in an empty theater, so I didn't get the experience of everybody laughing at this together, which I imagine must have happened in some of the opening nights. But like the car chase, when the doctor collided with the red shirts, was just like hilarious. Like, yeah. I thought it was, I wasn't sure if it was meant to be played as a comedy at that point, but it was just like, I it, did. It was I, so tonally, like, it was just weird. Ali and I were in like a packed theater. Yeah. And there definitely were people that were snickering or laughing at that moment, but not out of like, this is funny, haha. This is funny because it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah it's nonsensical. And there are a lot of other half baked things thrown in at the end to, intrigue you maybe was the intention but it didn't work like for instance Gemma Gemma Chan I always call her Gemma but Gemma Chan's character who is Chris Pine's character's Frank's wife ends up stabbing him like you said she kills him and that's totally out of left field Mm -hmm. which is cool it's fine if you're sequel baiting whatever you got to do what you got to do to make a buck 
but it doesn't make any sense in the context. Zero context. There's zero nothing there. So grounds. I'm left there as the viewer after the movie, like trying to come up with ways to rationalize and validate some of the stuff that happened in this film. So for me, I'm thinking, oh, maybe Gemma Chan is like, was in cahoots with him, but she thinks she can do this better or yada, yada. What, what makes sense here? And there's a lot of that in the second half of the story that just, it's not really good storytelling and it's not good filmmaking, like structurally speaking, right, as a story. So I don't know. But beyond all that, I was still entertained to the end because Florence Pugh, like I said before, is so good mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, a couple points on performances I want to hit is that I, despite Chris Pine seeming like he had a little fun with the role, I was expecting more from him. I think I needed a little bit more, like I think you guys said earlier, a humanizing moment. Like he was super one-dimensional the whole time. And I was hoping there'd be a, like a confrontation, like you said at the end. Also, Harry Styles, if you're really going, I mean, obviously it wasn't the intention of the film as it was released, but if you had made Harry Styles a more sympathetic character earlier on, there might've been a more interesting dynamic towards the end of the film with a betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, like we had a great moment with Olivia Wilde's character, Bunny, towards the end of the film where she confronts Florence after Jack's death and she's like, I know what's actually happening here and I'm here by choice. Another huge implication, uh, like you could have gone a whole other direction with the story. There's so much juice, so much meat to that idea that that Bunny is here by choice and again, it's just kind of moved past and you don't really have time mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. process that or what that could mean. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just some of it was one dimensional too. Like, and I don't really care about the social commentary. I think that's interesting enough. Like, uh, the portrayal of the men in this film and who they are in real life embodied by Jack, who in the real world is just this total borderline QAnon incel degenerate who is, who God knows what, like Alice sees in Jack in the real world. And Alice is made to be like this long suffering, you know, like girlfriend who's just like type two Enneagram pulling triple shifts at the ER. Like, I don't know. I had to suspend disbelief really hard in mm-hmm. those sequences and mm-hmm. it was interesting, but it just, it wasn't really working. So mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of things they could have done differently. Cause it wasn't fleshed out. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's just thrown in there. Or all the girls in our movie theater, Stephen pointed out when it showed Harry Styles with like the acne and like yeah. the whole, Look. They were like, they were more, like mortified. Yeah, I mean, oh, that God. was that was incredible. They, like, and there was like a visceral like reaction. Like yes. they were. That was a good subversion. Yeah, the the makeup and costuming team earned their paycheck on that one because <laughs> Harry Styles was repugnant, and repugnant. I was never more excited with. That was like that was a great that was a great uh, turn, but it was like that whole that whole thing. It wasn't that ugly. The, it, it was pretty rough, but the writing there was just it was. He was like Robert Pattinson as the Batman, <laughs> <laughs> but less cool and emo. But that's another good example of like the writing in those sequences was just laughably bad, and it was mm-hmm. it was very. Mm-hmm. Um, like cross between obtuse and cliche. It's almost mm-hmm. like the first two thirds of the film were written by someone else. And then the last third was like just shoehorned together in a couple nights, you know? Yeah. Which begs the question in the rewriting process, like what was really going on? Because I've also heard from people that say like, who have read the original script and like not a lot was really changed. And there were a lot of issues there. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. Like it, it feels obvious. A lot of these things feel obvious, maybe just in hindsight, because we've seen the finished film. It makes you wonder like hindsight's 2020, like maybe, I don't know, maybe it was different in test screenings, like effed it up again, because that happens a lot. 
but yeah, yeah it just if it, it just fell a little flat. And I, I even liked the ending. Like I didn't mind the abrupt nature of the ending. Sure. But it felt like there was just more story begging to be told yeah. at different points throughout the Isn't second half. And I, that bugs me all the more because it was such a strong setup. I loved all the hallucination. That's how you felt. I mean, I remember you saying that about um I feel this way a lot. Possessor specifically. Like that it ended Did I say that? super abruptly. Oh and yeah. Well I, I still haven't seen Possessor. I feel like that a lot. Like at least once a year, there's a great psych thriller that's like, it was just a little abrupt for me, but this one hurts because it was such a huge production value, mm -hmm. or at least mm -hmm. it feels that way. Totally it does. And it was so well made it's in the, one in the first Warner half. It's one of Warner Discovery's two films coming out this year. Yeah. Like Florence losing her mind and seeing things that aren't happening, it works so well. That yeah. You, you can't help but be excited for where it's going, mm -hmm. and then it just doesn't stick the landing. So. Yep. Do we know how much it grossed yet? I mean, if you're talking about opening weekend, we could just look. Predicted the movie to earn around $20 million to 21 and it's bagged. It just reached $30 million globally. That's probably not great. No. I don't think it'll sequel bait, if you know what I mean. I mean, it did bait, but it's not going to snare. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and it, well, it was on a budget, it says, for $35 million. I don't know if that's accurate, but... So at least it'll make its money back. Yeah, I don't see any sequels coming out of this, but... Um, but I do want to know more. Like, I do want to know more. There's so many questions. It's like, okay, who? I want to know all the backstories of everyone who's there, who's laying down what? sedated. Like the other wives? Like all, well, yeah, or husbands. I mean, we don't know. Well, well, I guess all the husbands go to it, work, it so it would have pretty, to be all the women. It seems pretty one note in that it is just the husbands putting yeah. their wives under. I mean, I doubt most of them are even married in real life. It's, but some of the wives be. said they wanted to be there. Like like Olivia Wilde's whole thing was it reunited her with her. Yeah, but she children. was the only. She. I got the impression she was. She was the only, the only one. one. It's insinuated that because okay. about the other character, the pregnant, the one who's always pregnant, which that's another question. Yeah. Um how or she's she she said that she doesn't know like oh no they don't know they don't um, know do you want to talk about the composer really quick oh my gosh yes one of my favorite scores in recent memory john powell did the music for this film and it is so good it has all those salisbury and barrow acapella notes yep. that i adore but it yeah. also had and i can't remember where what my um connection was with this but it had something else like it, it had those it Those felt like chilling acapella notes, but it, it felt like midsummer at times. Like there was like breathy, breathy mm -hmm. things happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it had that, but it also went big. And I, I remember being in the theater thinking this reminded me of something, and I can't remember what it is now. Oh, but there are these big climactic yeah. moments in the score. Yeah. Uh, and I even bookmarked them on Spotify because I was like, I, I really enjoyed yeah. it. It was one of those things that that helped my enjoyment kind of, of like the movie. Dark Nighty. Yeah. Almost. Exactly. Well, like the part, the part where um, it cuts to the wide and the and the the car is going solo in the desert, straight out, like toward the end, and it's yeah. like it starts off with that like, <laughs> yes, and then it goes, it comes in big with the drums. I hope that stuff doesn't get overdone because acapella yeah. is such a brilliant part of the modern, either horror or psych thrillers sure. repertoire and soundtrack. But also the sound design for this movie was really good. Yeah, and that. Again, just things that added to the production value and my enjoyment of the film and why I why I left the theater smiling, even if it wasn't uh, an amazing yeah. end to the story. So right here at the end, we'll play a song from John Powell's score. <laughs> 